millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Last week, we heard part one of my conversation with Tat Stewart. He was the pastor of an international congregation in Tehran during the early days of the Islamic Revolution in Iran. And he and his family continued to minister there for many months, even during the hostage crisis, during the diplomatic standoff. When we ended, Tat and his family were finally being expelled from the country. They were being told, you have to leave and getting ready to say goodbye to the believers they had invested so much in. We had our last service with the community church and we, we had communion. And I said, you know, there was, there was nobody that could really lead the church. So I invited them to go to Iranian churches or other places if they knew Farsi. And uh, we closed down that church, shared it with the young people. And of course, you know, we had to get rid of a car and furniture and and a tent. One week we had a, a whirlwind of things to do. And then the day arrived, uh, we had to be at the airport at 4 a.m. for an 8 o'clock flight. And when we got to the airport, it was still dusk, and uh, our, our landlord drove us to the airport. And we got there, a crowd just surrounded our car, and I couldn't see who they were. And I thought, maybe we're not going to get out of here. Maybe we're going to be taken hostage here at the airport. But as soon as we could see faces, it was about... 25 or so of the young people from the Iranian church, mainly guys, it might have been a few girls. They picked up our kids, our suitcases, and we walked into the airport like some sort of mafia guy, you know, with his with all of his bodyguards. <laughs> and uh, they they stayed with us as long as they could through the whole process. And then the last conversation that I had on Iranian soil was a, a Muslim guy that had been coming to the youth group. And he said, I was waiting to tell you, I was going to tell you later, but I, this is my last chance that I've given my heart to Christ. Thank you for coming to Iran. That was my last conversation on Iranian soil. And so uh, when we went into the uh, security area, they, they, they put us aside, they took us to a back room, and they desperately tried to find something on the computer to either fine us or hold us. And the funny thing is all the guys in the computer room were speaking Azadi Turkish, so I knew exactly what they were saying. And <laughs> they were trying trying hard to find a way to to, to hold us. And, and so finally, uh, they let us go. And then we're just about ready to get on the plane. And our, our, our names come over the loudspeaker. Would the Stuart family please come to the desk? And again, your heart goes like, you know, are we really going to get out of here? And they said, I hope it's okay, but we're going to have to put you in first class. And we said, yeah, sure, <laughs> we, we, we can handle that. So we flew out of Iran in a, a first class on Swiss Air to Zurich. And as the plane took off, and I looked down on Tehran and looked at the Damovan uh, mountain. And uh, I really began to, to weep a little bit, just like, Lord, uh, what, you know, I was just confused. What have you done here? I mean, we, we just seem to get started. And, and, and what am I supposed to do next? You know, I mean, I don't know what to do. And so it was a difficult time, but I see now 
that my ministry to Iranians could be far more greater outside the country. I couldn't have done anything in the country. Anybody who would come see me would be in trouble. And so um, God brought me out. As Tat Stewart left Iran, he was leaving behind many Iranian Christians who faced a sobering reality living as Christ followers in the newly formed Islamic Republic of Iran. I think their fear was much more intense because of their lifelong experience in, in, in a Muslim country. Uh, under the Shah, there was a lot of freedom and uh, there was a lot of protection by the law. Uh, when Ayatollah Khomeini came, I think uh, it, there was a lot of lot of fear, and that's why a lot of them began to leave. In fact, not only did they uh, have fear when they heard that we, the missionaries, were going to be put out because all of the other missionary couples, there were two other couples, all of us were put out. Uh, Catholic and other foreign Christian workers were put out of the country. The Iranians began to think this is the end of Christianity. You know, like sort of the Armenian Holocaust. This is going to be the end of, of, of this movement. And they, they didn't understand the principle that God always advances his kingdom through trouble, through difficulties. I mean, that's what God specializes in, I think, is taking human disasters and bringing uh, growth of faith and, and adding new people. So, but what I began to see, Todd, is, is that as the Christians were leaving the church, Muslims were pouring into the church. And I, I remember seeing all these ladies in chadors uh, sitting in the downtown church and uh, uh, people knocking on the gates of the church wanting Bibles and, and things like that. Some of them had been seeing visions of Christ. Some of them uh, were just not interested in the Muslim future. So the beginning inklings of the beginning stirrings of this great awakening were taking place right before my eyes. I didn't understand at that point how big a change this was going to be. But it was interesting that as the Christians were abandoning the church, uh, Muslims were pouring in wanting to know about Christ. We're talking with Tat Stewart here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. He was expelled from the Islamic Republic of Iran more than 40 years ago. But since then, he has been observing from afar how God is at work building his church inside that country. Tat looks back and reflects on his time ministering to young people in Tehran. And he realizes he was seeing the stirrings of a move of God four decades ago that is still unfolding today. I remember the first meeting I had with the young people group at the downtown church. There was about 15 of them sitting in chairs, all dressed in coats and ties and, and you know, very formally sitting like a, like a little mini church. And uh, I, I had worked hard to have like a 15-minute devotional because I had never met a youth group that could handle more than 15 minutes in America. And so I had prepared this. And, of course, first I had to prepared in English, and then I had to translate it, go through it. And so with great laboring and, and, and effort, I preached this short message to them. And they didn't budge. And they said, is that all you got? I mean, we, we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, we, we, we haven't had it. We haven't had anybody teach us for, for a long time. We, we got to, you got to give us more. I said, okay. 
So then I thought, well, I'll go to the next youth group and, and I'll, I'll take the same message because now I've kind of worked, practiced it a bit. And when I went to the next church, all the kids from the first church followed me to the next church because they wanted to be with me and hear more. So it was like never before had I had such a thirsty audience for spiritual things. And then another church, the youth group had completely died. And so um, I began to meet with them on Friday evening. And within a month, we'd grown to 60 young people. Wow. Uh, and we had singing. Uh, I, I brought in some of the Campus Crusade kids because there, there was always some antagonism between Campus Crusade and the established churches because they felt like they were taking their kids. So I was able to bring them together. And we began to have a really wonderful time. The last summer I was there, which would be summer of 1980, we planned a national conference. And I think this is the big story where we had 97 uh, young people from the Episcopalian Church and the Presbyterian Church from about four different cities. And we had a week in this wonderful conference up in northern Tehran where the weather was cooler. And I did a Bible study on Romans and uh, we studied to Mark. And the second day, I tried to get him to stop doing Bible study and like, like have some fun, you know, like play a volleyball game. Or I said, no, 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 we want to read and we want to pray. We want to read and we want to pray. Now, and imagine a youth director facing this problem. He can't get the kids to fool around and goof off. <laughs> and I could just see God working. And the last night, the Lord put it in my head to have a big bonfire. And even though it was like 110 degrees, we had a big bonfire and, uh, I gave every one of these kids a three by five card. And I said, I want you to go sit somewhere and ask God to show you if there's anything in your life that's keeping you from giving your heart completely to Jesus Christ. And if you're led, confess that and bring that card and dump it in the fire and, and just commit your life and to serve him, not just to be a Christian, but to serve him. All 97 of those kids did that. And today I'm in touch with maybe a third of them. And today, uh, many of them uh, are in Christian ministry. Five or six of them became pastors. Uh, you might even know some of them. And uh, that changed the tone of the Presbyterian Church because these kids went back and began to take over the worship of the service and sharing testimonies. The renewal, I, I just feel like I was at the right time, at the right moment. These kids had no idea what their future was going to be. And, you know, we, we went into the Word of God and we prayed and God showed up and did something amazing. In my mind, in the Presbyterian Church, in the Episcopalian Church, Anglican Church, that was sort of the beginning of the awakening within the church that, that took place. And so when I came back to the States after being there for one year, I was kind of depressed. I thought, you know, God, you took us halfway around the world. Who knows how much money we spent? Uh, for what reason? And two of the kids, from that, I call them kids, they were in their 20s, but from that conference came to visit us two years later while I was pastoring a church in Washington, D.C. And they said, you don't know what that conference did to change the whole Presbyterian church. Wow. You, don't, you don't know how that changed our lives. And then I realized it had also changed my life mm -hmm. because I could not stay away from what God was doing with the Iranians. And so when, when I was pastoring this American church, we quickly discovered Iranians in D.C., and we began to reach out to them. And by God's grace, my wife and I planted an Iranian church in the, in the D.C. area. What do you attribute that sense of hunger among the young people? Was, did it have to do with the revolution and the chaos that was going on and just kind of the uncertainty? 
Do you think it was just a move of God's spirit that, that sort of made them hungry? What, what do you attribute their hunger to? I think it was a number of things. I think the uncertainty, especially among the women, you know, they didn't know were they going to be able to go to college, what was going to happen. It was uncertainty. I think, secondly, the Presbyterian Church was had sort of been drifting into sort of quasi-liberalism uh, in, in the sense of traditionalism, if, if nothing else, just sort of, you know, and it was kind of a dead church, formalized church. And so these young people were itching and hungry. Uh, thirdly, I think concentration for a whole week on, on Scripture and just letting it sink in. And then I was teaching it with diagrams and very carefully presenting the work of the cross and what Christ had done. And I think God honored the fact that I jumped in with full force to present the biblical message of what it means to be a Christian. And then I think God's just anointed special time you know, I believe when the revolution came, God opened up the windows over Iran and poured out his spirit in a very special way. Uh, the darkness was real. I mean, when I got off the plane in Tehran, I felt the oppression, the spiritual oppression. And with, this, with that spiritual oppression, there was a counter presence of God that these folks had never experienced much before. And, and now they were. So that's kind of my explanation. Mm -hmm. So what does your ministry look like today? Well, over the years, uh, we've planted two churches. And then in 1994, I realized that there was one trained Iranian pastor for every million Iranians. And, uh, and when you take the same ratio to the American population, there's like, you know, two pastors for every three Americans. I mean, there's just lots of them, you know. And so I resigned, went to our mission board. I was a member of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. And the Mission Board World Witness uh, hired me as a missionary to the Persian world. And uh, I took over pastoring 18 Iranian Muslim converts uh, in, in Washington, D.C., and grew that to uh, nearly 100 believers over a period of time. And so we started a ministry called Talim Ministries, T-A-L-I-M Ministries.com. And so we began by doing different things. We uh, established a magazine for home church leaders called Shaban, which is the word pastor. And we, that magazine has been going for 20 years. And it was most of the writers were Iranian writers and myself and others. And Iranian leaders, young leaders would come to me and say, would you, would you mentor me? And so over the last 10 years, I've been mentoring a, a lot of people where we might meet weekly and, and just share about what's going on in life and then do some Bible study together. I never had this plan that I was supposed to fill. I just said, Lord, use me. And he just keeps opening up things. And even now at almost 75 years of age, uh, the Iranians are still, we teach us here, we do this here, we do this that there. And so uh, I keep busy, Todd. I, I, I know that you do. As we kind of wind down, can you coach our listeners who who want to reach out to Muslims? Because, you know, you and I know there's a lot of Muslims here in America. How do we reach out? How do we have those conversations? I think I think a lot of us approach that from a standpoint of intimidation. We're intimidated to have that conversation. Just give us a little bit of advice about those conversations. Okay, first of all, I think we, we have to understand that uh, the best way to share the gospel is to become a friend first. 
someone said, make a heart connection before a gospel connection. I think Muslim people are relational. And so I think it's good to be, I mean, there are times to just give out a tract or give out scripture, but I think the best approach is friendship. Then secondly, I think um, before we approach head on, we should demonstrate what I would call kingdom of God realities in our life through that relationship. An example could be is, for example, Dr. William Miller, the great statesman to Iran, I learned from him. He said to his Muslim friends, I always pray with my friends. Is it okay if I pray with you? And if I pray with you, what do you need prayer for? And so the easiest way to demonstrate a kingdom of God realities is to, to pray with your Muslim friend because two things happen. First of all, he has a look into the fact that you talk to God as if you know him. And secondly, God answers your prayers. I mean, believe it or not, Todd, I would say 99% of the believable things that I've prayed for for Muslims, God has always answered. And they come back and they say, you know, we need you to pray some more about this. <laughs> and so what you want to do is have the Muslim coming towards you, asking questions rather than you convincing them. It's, it's not a debate situation. It's a, it's a sort of taste and see that the Lord is good situation. And so I would say then, then uh, encourage them to read the scriptures or give them the scriptures. And I give the scriptures this way. I say, you're living in a Christian country, or there are a lot of Christians, and I want you to know what your Christians believe. So I'm going to give you this Bible so you can figure it out. And then sometimes I say, you know, what if someone asked you how to become a Christian? Would you know how to tell them? And they would say, no. I said, well, let me tell you how you could tell them. Now, the reason I do that is because in, in, the, in the honor shame culture, you don't want to hit a person straight on. It's kind of like Nathan coming to, to David. You have to sort of have the, the, the story. So I will say, well, let me tell you just for your information. So, you know, you'll be smart. Someone else asks you. And I say, well, thank you. And I tell them. Then after that, I said, what did you think about that? They said, well, that's pretty good. I said, well, would you like to pray that prayer? Would you? Yeah. <laughs> so it's got to be more relaxed. It's got to be in the context of a relationship. It's got to be in the context of doing kindness and helping them out if you can. And I, and I see this in a lot of American Christians. They have befriended particularly Iranians. And, uh, and, and they've enjoyed going to each other's culture, asking questions about their culture, ask questions about their, their religion. Let them be in the driver's seat as much as possible. Now, I could talk on this topic for about an hour, so that was just a short version. <laughs> That's the short version. Okay, last question. We, you mentioned prayer. We want to equip our listeners to pray for Iran. How do we pray for the country as a whole and also for the church that exists inside Iran? Even though it's not a church building, there is still certainly a church in Iran. How do we pray for them? Well, obviously, the, the church in Iran is, pays a high price for any kind of faithfulness. Uh, you can get arrested for having a Bible. You can get arrested for having a house church in your home. And so it's a rough time. But this has not created a church that is shrinking. It's created a church that is growing and responding to the persecution. So pray for wisdom and discernment for believers, how to be faithful witnesses, but without you know risking their family's health and life and security, that they need to be wise. And the Iranian people are suffering greatly. That The COVID uh, situation in Iran is one of the worst in the world. People don't even go to the hospital because the hospitals are horrible places and you have to pay money before you go and, and, and food supplies are hard. Inflation is through the roof. People are depressed, discouraged. 
it's really a, a miserable place to live unless you have money. I mean, obviously, if you have money, if you're upper class, it's not a big deal. So it's a, the most ripe field probably for the gospel because human conditions are so terrible and Christians are being with. So pray for that and pray for those that, that lead networks and are training these networks from outside the country. You know, there are many, many Iranian pastors outside that have, uh, you know, hundreds of people inside that they're trying to shepherd long distance. Pray for protection for these folks as well. And people ask me, you know, when is this government going to go fall apart or leave? I said, as long as it's being used by God for such a big movement to the kingdom, I think God will keep it there until he feels it's time to move. So I don't know if this government will last or not last, but the people are suffering and God is using that. So we just need to pray and and reach out to Iranians in this country because they have relatives and friends back in their country too. And they would love to know that you're praying for them. Amen. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.